Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Terra Accounting and Consulting. I'm an entrepreneur and like most people who own and operate their own businesses, I've realized it requires managing a lot of very different things. And that can be a recipe for burnout. So anytime I can outsource the things that are beyond my expertise is a very good decision. Well, Terra Accounting and Consulting understands this. They are a CPA firm built for doers like me. They help business owners build financial strategies that pave the way toward increased profitability and personal financial growth. Call Terra Accounting to schedule a consultation today. And if you mention the Hey Amarillo podcast, you can receive $100 off any service. When it comes to accounting, payroll, bookkeeping, and tax prep, consider it done with Terra Accounting and Consulting. That's Terra, T-E-R-R-A. Today's guest is Lonnie Shaw. Lonnie is the owner of SkyWest Assisted Living in Amarillo and Canyon. It's a small, independent care facility. And Lonnie's path to ownership of this facility was a a really strange one. He had been in business for himself since 1986. He worked everything from janitorial services to carpet cleaning. But after his dad became a resident at SkyWest in 2009, Lonnie ended up buying the facility. And of course, the past year has been incredibly challenging for all kinds of long-term care facilities. So I invited Lonnie on the show to talk about it. We talk about his unconventional career path, uh, but we spend a lot of time talking about how COVID impacted the lives of the residents and the staff at SkyWest. This is a fascinating conversation. Here's Lonnie Shaw. Lonnie Shaw, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to have you. I uh, I know a little bit about the direction that our conversation will take, uh, but I want to start at the very beginning, like I do with all my guests, and ask you why you're here. How did you end up in this area in the first place? Well, um, I was born in Lubbock. Okay. Uh, don't remember that at all. My parents moved to Amarillo shortly after that, and we've been in this area for ever since. And uh Stayed in Amarillo, uh, went to Bannon Junior High. Okay. And uh, ninth grade, my parents thought I was not doing real good with decision making and moved. To, thought a move to Canyon would be a, okay. a, a good change just to kind of get a smaller back. school. Yeah. You know, and um, it was a good move. Okay. I loved it. I clicked right in, joined FFA. Hmm. You know, what the heck? City boy going to FFA. But I've always loved animals, so that was easy. But, um, it was a good move. It really was. I was raised by two great parents, and um, you know, spirituality was uh, was always on their mind. They taught me that God should be first in your life, and you should work on that the rest of your life. And um, I, I think that was good good advice. Do you, do you know why they came to Amarillo in the first place from Lubbock? Do you know? It was much job about that related. Story? It was job related for my dad. He was a heavy equipment operator. Okay, and. Um, I can't remember all the details, but I think he went to work for maybe Given and Terrell. All right. Uh, which was a pretty good sized company. But And so it wasn't a big deal moving from Amarillo to Canyon, even. Right. It, and we moved, our our home was out on Washington Street. Okay. Uh, kind of out there in the country a little bit and tried to do some, a little bit of chickens and a few things and uh, worked out pretty pretty well for, as far as the move goes. 
So tell me what happened. Did you go on to like Canyon High School and, and graduate from there? Sure. I, I heard your talk with Clay Stribling. Yeah. And uh, interesting because it, uh, he, he and I have Hereford in common. Okay. I have, we have relatives in Hereford. And an uh, important part of my story as far as who I am is I, I started at seven years old, going over there, spending the summer and working with my uncles and my granddad. They had a, hauling, a hay hauling business. So for, when I first went over there, I was just driving the truck, you know, standing up in the seat, driving the truck. It was pretty, pretty exciting. But, uh, you know, I, I did that through high school and graduated in 1979. And uh, they taught me how to work. My mom and dad taught me all kinds of things, but my uncles and my granddad taught me how to work. My granddad told me, if you know, if you just keep going, you're going to beat 80% of the people because 20% are going to quit. And uh, he said, you'll do just fine if you just keep at it. And that's kind of the way I've done my businesses is that you just keep going. Did you have any idea um, besides, you know, having a hard work ethic? Did you have any idea like what direction you wanted to go once None. you got None. out of high school? None whatsoever. Matter of fact, I went to work with the same company my dad did was uh, uh, running uh, heavy equipment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought I was pretty good at that. But again, I not have made such the best decisions in some of the areas and um, lost that job, fired from that job. That was pretty painful. Hmm. Never been fired. But um, that kind of turned. And uh, I went to work for a guy that I knew pretty well at, in a service master franchise. And that's where I kind of started with the cleaning business and the restoration business and worked there a few years. And then I went to WTN, was a director of custodial services there. Okay. During um, a pretty tough time period. And Was that during the 80s? Yes. Mid-80s. Okay. I think 84, actually. Uh, Dr. Roach was there, and um, budgets were being cut. We, had to, we took our... 126 employee janitorial service or janitorial crew and took them to nights and took them down to like 82 employees mm. to try to save the budget, which was, uh, I thought, a pretty good accomplishment for, you know, coming in and trying to make some decisions and, and do the best. You were in a director position yeah. for that. So that's a lot of management. Yeah. And, and that's not something that people, even if you've worked hard or you've worked in, you know, like the service industry. 22 years old. Yeah. How, how did you end up in a, a management position like that? Well, I, I, uh, I talk a lot and uh, <laughs> I, I see things and I want to make them better. You know, I, and I, I have an analytical mind. I'm dyslexic, but I see the end results. Okay. So I was, um, I was just on a crew, you know, I had gone from 15 bucks an hour to seven bucks an hour to there at uh, 10 bucks an hour trying to make a living for my family. But I would talk to everybody about what I thought should happen uh, in this cleaning business that was uh, part of the university. Nobody had any training. Nobody, and I volunteered to train. And uh, director just, you know, for some reason decided to leave. I don't re recall why. And um, they promoted me. Hmm. So from there, I, I was there in that position for, I think, about two and a half years. And... Uh, I see things and I want to change them, and in, in uh, that type of setting, it takes longer to get the decision made. By that time, the decision, it's a different decision. Yeah. So it's, it was really frustrating for me. So I bought my own business. And okay. Flew to Chicago to get the training, never been on a plane before, and uh, flew out to O'Hare and <laughs> stayed in a convent. Service master rented the convent, 
and they fed us while we did the training wow. in the other sides of the building. So it's quite the experience. Huh. And then, uh, you know, I've come back and uh, just added to that from one thing to another. Why, why did you decide to buy the business? Because, I, you know, being somebody who, even in management, you know, it's, it's not always a natural transition to say, okay, I'm going to get a loan, I'm going to put some money into this, I'm going to try to build this thing. What did that risk-taking kind of feel like at that point for you? Did it feel like you were taking a risk? Yeah, it did, but that doesn't seem to be, you know, a problem. I, um, it felt like the right thing to do. Okay. Again, I think the Lord puts you where you're supposed to be, and I kind of trust that. So, so tell me what the business was and, and why you saw that as an opportunity at that point. As a service master franchise, actually, I, I owned two franchises before it was over with, but the first one was uh, residential cleaning and fire and water restoration. Uh, which encompasses huge amounts of uh, things from uh, moving the, everything in your house out mm-hmm. and taking it back to the shop, cleaning it, bringing it back in here after they've remodeled the, from a fire damage. So, you know, that type of work. And then along with that, we just went naturally into re, doing the remodel that taking care of some of the damage that was going on in that. So, And you had... Two different franchises, were those both here in Amarillo, or yes. did you the other branch fran- out? The other part of that franchise was a janitorial service. Okay. And uh, so we had probably, at total, we probably had around 120 employees at times, in our biggest times when we were doing those. So. And so you, did you contract out with, like, businesses and, yeah. and that kind yeah. of thing? Uh, Met- Meta Park, office complex. I would just recall that because that was the hardest building in the world to clean, hmm. just logistics-wise. Uh, so that came to my mind immediately. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit, um, you know, just from the perspective of running a business, you know, where you are cleaning other businesses. I, I know that with this show, I like to challenge misconceptions. And I think a cleaning crew is, you know, the, the type of people that are so necessary to a business. Yeah but are often an afterthought or somebody that maybe you don't even interact with. Like, like, tell me your perspective as somebody who's managing those teams, the, the people who fulfill those roles and, yeah, and the yeah. importance of that. Well, I'll tell you, probably 40% of them won't show up on a given night. Hmm. And so you're replacing, your turnover rate is 300 and something percent. Wow. Um, but because it's like an entry level yeah, kind of job, and, and they can go right down the street and get the next one. So they were they were hungry that night, so they didn't want to come in. Or they, uh, the sister said, "Well, let's go do this," and and decided, you know, on a whim to go. Well, they, the next day they can go get another job. So it, it makes it very the management of that is uh, like uh, managing cats, hmm. you know. But I would say on the most part. The misconceptions um, that hurts the most is that if there's ever something missing in a building, the custodial, custodial crew is who is blamed. Hmm. Sometimes that's a, accurate, but most of the time, in my experience, that is not accurate. You know, it's either somebody else in the office moved it over here. You know, there, there's just it was just time after time. But it's an easy excuse, an sure. easy thing to point sure. at, and. You know, it's, this is a big contract, so you're going to react to it and try to make it right one way or the other. And um, a lot of times, you know, it uh, worked itself out, move on from there. But How long did, did you run and operate those businesses? About 20 years. Okay. You know, once you got into that, did that feel like, 
all right, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. Did you feel pretty satisfied or fulfilled, you know? Yeah, really, I did. Um, You know, I love people. I mean, I absolutely enjoy talking to people. Uh, I tell you, you know, I was telling you earlier, I've been into a lot of these houses over this area. You know, go do an estimate and then do the cleaning or, you know, at times and whatever. But I got to meet a lot of people. And it's easy for me to talk to them, mm-hmm. and they seem to. It's easy for most people to talk to me. So, did the management side of that ever get any easier? Telling uh, people what to do, making decisions, n- hurting those cats. No, uh, it, it doesn't get any easier. But you know, you just you just did it. Now, I did get out of the janitorial business first because because of the you know just trying to uh, supply the employees to do the job. And kept the other side of the business for a while longer. And, you know, uh, one of the things that happened was that was about the time when the black mold mm-hmm. came in. And there was, you know, just a panic that went on with that. And the, and the reality is, it's the same thing that we had been dealing with for 20 years. Right. But you tag a legal issue behind it, and it changes. And it was not fun anymore uh, with the liability risk right. involved in that. So uh, that's when I d- basically I just got out of the franchise. Uh, interestingly enough, my dad and I had uh, bought some land south of Canyon, just south of Connor Park. Uh, if you've been out to those roadside parks out there south of town, if you look to the west, that's our that's our land. Okay. And we had every intention of developing that. We had, you know, we had done lots and lots of estimates, done lots and lots of um, investigation on it for doing that. And before we ever made a payment on that land, my dad had that massive, his massive stroke, Hmm. which obviously changed everything. How old was he at the time? 63. Okay. It's pretty young. He he was rock. He was, he, he was Superman. He, you know, at work every day, five uh, come home, work, fit as a fiddle. His cholesterol, his heart, everything was great. What was he doing at the time? What was his job? Same thing. Same thing. So he's working with you or no, he, something he, different? He, he was still running heavy equipment. Oh, okay, heavy for, equipment. Okay. And he worked for Depaw Construction Company and uh, still still doing a great job every day. And uh, it, I mean, it was a total shock. Um, I should have had a before him, even mm-hmm. at that age, you know. It took him down. The doctor said in the emergency room, this is a life-changing event. I said, you don't know my dad. We spent seven, eight months in rehab and then uh, went home and tried to take care of him. And I helped my mom do that. And, uh, you know, I was there multiple times a week uh, helping with that. And during that time is when I would take him over to Sky West to try to get uh, some rest for my mom, maybe overnight or maybe for a week, you know, occasionally. And um, every time I went over there, the owners would ask me, God, you need to buy this. You would be great at this. Tell people what Sky West is. Sky West is an assisted living center. It's a small little family-like assisted living. And um, 16 beds, you know, you don't get lost in there. We know, we know where you are. Using that facility for, for respite care uh, and getting to know the staff, why were they saying, hey, you need to buy this? Like, what, what 
prompted I, that? I think I was. I, I think they saw how good I was with my dad. Okay. Uh, and they knew that you had been in business and had done some entrepreneurship right, and right, stuff. Right. And uh, you know the personality. I think they they thought would work on it. And um, and probably even interaction between the other residents as I came and went hmm. in there. So I, I think that was part part of it too. But uh, and you know we we kept dad at home for eight years. About wore my mom out. She had to have some surgery. So we you know determined that it was time to place him permanently. And then they they I mean they were really pushing for me to. By that was it just a locally owned place? I mean, uh, it was. It's it, part of a it larger. Was a sing, a husband and wife owned it. Okay, they lived in Arlington, and so it was a somewhat long distance management. But they were there a lot of the times, and you know, I didn't. I still didn't have any interest in it. But they, had, uh, one of the times they asked me, I said, well, "You know, what would that look like?" And um, next thing you know, I bought the place, hmm. and um, the Lord puts you where you're supposed to be. I haven't I haven't regretted it at all. I love easily love these residents. Hmm. And uh, you know, I had no idea how how much. How many how many years ago was that that you bought it? 10 years, a little over 10. Even having been in business, even having been in carpet restoration business, focusing on cleanliness, all that stuff, that still doesn't really translate to taking care of people in an assisted living facility or operating (laughs) a hospital-like environment. I mean, those are very different worlds. Was it, was there a significant learning curve or is it just management is management of people? (laughs) I mean, how, how different was that? Six months into it, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Really? Uh, You know, I look at myself. um, I I, I think I can do just about anything. If you give me enough time, you know, show me how, give me some instruction. I think I can do it. But um, as an example, the day I took over management, the state walked in. I walked in at 9 o'clock. The state walked in with a three-person crew at 10, at 10 o'clock. They were there till 9.30 that night. They, they declared an immediate jeopardy. Immediate jeopardy means I didn't know. They had to tell me that if you don't come up with a plan that's suitable to them in 10 minutes, they're going to empty your building. Hmm. And, Did um, you know they were coming? No, they don't. It's just a surprise inspection, yep, or yeah, it's a. It was on multiple complaints from the previous owners, previous uh, management, and they had they should have been there. I didn't know it, but they should have been there. And when it came down to it that day, um, we had to make a plan for insulin people to get their insulin, and we made a plan. It called the nurse that kind of trained, and uh, she was going to be there till it. So we got everybody trained and got, you know, figured out what we were going to do. And the state accepted that and stayed another four days and went through everything in your building. Hmm. About halfway through that, I thought, uh, what have I done? Yeah, and you walked into a fire and yeah. then had to start Interesting en- enough, the three team, and they were uh, nurses. I think one was a dietitian. Uh, but, uh, you know, they saw the frustration in my eyes and they said, Lonnie, look. You are exactly the people we need in these buildings. You'll get this cleaned up. Hang in there. Don't go anywhere. So, you know, and it, another part of that is that uh, I've become friends with one of those ladies. She's been in our, you know, she's a regular inspector on any complaint or anything that goes on. She's in, in the building, you know, 
maybe once a t- one time a year, and we're still, you know, we still communicate. And we mm-hmm. talk about that first day, first week, and it's surprising that either one of us are still there, but we are. So you you talked about you know the the residents that are there, and you know I can can tell that 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 made you a little bit emotional, and and thinking of the families, thinking of the people you serve. Um, I know it's the kind of place that my listeners probably don't give any thought to until they have a family member there. Exactly. You know, and, and so tell me what that's like for those who don't know and, and why it's so important, you know, to have a safe place, you know, where, where their mom or dad or grandmother or grandfather, you know, can, can stay and receive that kind of care. Um, my, my motto through all my businesses is we will earn your trust. That's never been more important than in this business. You you bring your loved one into a facility, and you uh, relinquish, not necessarily relinquish, but you turn over a, a large part of their care. And that can either be good care, mm-hmm. or that can be rough care, that can be uh, non-joyous care. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong behind those doors. And there's examples of that out there everywhere. You don't have to look very far to see how bad it can be. And we, we look at it. I look at it. I tell, I tell my staff, our job is to give joy. Hmm. Is, uh, they don't have, a lot of times, much joy in their lives. And that's, that's what I see my job is. And that's why they're there, because that, it was so hard for them to live at home or for their family to take care of them that they needed that sort of professional right. care. And, and, you know, you, you see it in the, the care, caregiver's eyes when it's time to place. You know, not everybody places, but it, when you can't go another step, you, you got to. You got to place. And that's what, uh, that's what SkyWest is. That's what we try to do is just give that safe place. You know, we do everything from, um, you know, we do a lot of music. We do a lot of music. Uh, I, we, we had one little resident that, uh, her name was Katie. I won't give the whole name, but Katie. She had so much joy inside of her, she, and she's from Canyon. And, uh, you know, we do music. We had a uh, pastor from the Cowboy Church come in and do uh, hymns with a Western swing. Mm-hmm. And two times a week. And then we have, you know, WT sends people, Kenyon High, Junior High, elementary schools. We get lots of music. And I have never seen her not know the words to a song. Wow. And just love to sing it, you know. And it's just, that's just crazy watching. And she couldn't tell you what she had for breakfast. Hmm. You know, 30 minutes She ago. retains that stuff. Yes, and that's that's so interesting because we see that over and over again, that uh, music stays. Your earliest memories last the longest, and uh, that's just you know that's just one example. But I I would imagine that one of the most challenging parts, and maybe this is the part that requires the right person in it, is that you know you're with residents for sometimes a fairly brief part of their lives, and it's the last part of their lives. And so you're constantly building and developing relationships and then in a position of having to let those relationships go. You know, and for somebody like yourself that is good at that, is values relationships and can talk to people, 
Um, you know, how do you approach that? How, how do you deal with that just on a day to day or week to week basis? Um, uh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I, I was somewhat prepared and understood that you, you were going to lose residents. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the nature of the business. What surprised me the most and is as painful as that is their families. We get in, uh, connected on an unusual level because these are tough times. And if, especially if they're spending any time in our building at all, and we encourage them to, um, that's for sure. And you just get to know them in a um, very kindred, loving way. And we still have people from, you know, six, seven years ago that send us Christmas cards really? at a call, you know, uh, thinking about you. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's very unique. I like it. So even, even though the resident may have passed away, yeah. it doesn't mean that relationship's over with their family. I mean, sometimes that persists right. beyond that. Right. Um, it's very few and far between that actually come back and spend a lot of time in the building. And I think that may be uh, self-explanatory. You know, it's a tough place. Yeah. But uh, they do uh, make contact and occasionally come by. So I, I know the obvious question that, that listeners will be thinking is that this past year has been a profoundly difficult year for assisted living facilities, for nursing homes, for long-term care facilities. And, you know, obviously you had a little bit of experience having, you know, done that for several years uh, once the pandemic hit, but you weren't prepared. You know, nobody was really prepared for that. So, so tell me what the last, you know, nine or 10 months have been like at Sky West and for you as a manager there. You know, I, you ask about that first year in business and I, um, I really did. I, I, I didn't think I was going to make it, but, uh, and I, I looked at that as my hardest year ever. I was wrong. Yeah, here we are. Twenty twenty is has been so hard, and and I think that's a great word for it too. Because just uh, getting them every aspect of our life, much less in there, has gotten harder. And inside a facility right now, it's it's a little bit easier right now than because you've learned, you mm-hmm. know, and you're doing a little better at it. But um, man, it. We were already working on our emergency uh, preparedness and plans because the state was wanting us to, you know, redo in um, January. Actually, we started working on that in December. Okay. Uh, bef- before before in, COVID. In 2019. Then. Yeah. That's where I'm going with it. And um, so I, I, I was already purchasing PPE for that and doing some things. And I bought, 1st of March, I bought... Um, 10 cases of hand sanitizer for our, you know, our normal use and for our emergency use. And uh, that was the last 10 cases that uh, my supplier had. Wow. And it didn't show up for a long time. Same thing with gowns, same thing with gloves, same thing with any of our PPE. You know, it, it just, disinfectant, you know, if you've been out there looking for Clorox wipes, you know, there you can get one now, but occasionally but they they did not exist and anybody that waited you know past two weeks from us was not getting it 
And so I felt very fortunate that we had already been planning and, you know, kind of buying up uh, emergency stock on that. You know, and then uh, after that, I, tur- I turned into a purchasing man- uh, agent. Yeah. I spent three hours a day. Just trying and, to source stuff. Yeah. get Trying to get, because, you know, you have no idea how much you're going to need. But if you have a big outbreak, you're going to need a lot. And uh, so that's what I did. And it was hard to do that. We, had, we got our first positive case and only positive case uh, right there at the end of March. Okay. That changed life again, even more intense. Uh, we had, um, he's 93, 93-year-old, been compromised in every way, got him out of the building extremely fast and to the hospital. But in that process, we quarantined 75% of our, or more of our workers, our staff, uh, which meant it left us three ladies Heroes, mm-hmm. and, and you need to know this story. Yeah. Gina, Corinne, and Estella worked 12-hour shifts for 14 days taking care of our residents. And they did it with joy. They did it the first, the first day, you know, because everything changed. You, you now feed them in the room. You're now wearing PPE. It, you know, everything is just tumbling out of, in change. And these girls are trying to figure out a process. We're all trying to figure out a process to get this, be able to do this. Mm-hmm. How are we going to get their food to them all the way down the hall with it still warm? How are we going to, you know? And so life just changed. And they worked uh, the first day. We sat down and we were talking about it. And, you know, there were just tears everywhere. And Estelle, uh, she was the one working the floor. She said, we're not going to be able to do this. And... I can't do this. And I said, I, I get what you're saying. This is our first day. We'll work this out. We'll figure this out. We'll make a system. And you girls, I bet, are the ones that are going to do it. And um, the next day, when, she, when they got there, they'd been thinking about it all night. And we started talking about it, started changing things, and um, got a little easier. Next day, it got a little more easier. And, uh, man... They did a great job. Tell me about the getting easier process. You know, once you got through that crisis period where you had a resident who was positive and you had your staff down to, you know, 25% capacity, how did you move beyond that and continue to protect your staff and, you know, your residents into the summer, into the fall, all those things? Uh, after, After that 14 days, you know, I'm also in a, you know, I'm an investigator. I'm looking, I'm searching, and I'm trying to find the better ways to do anything. We've incorporated UV lights. We've incorporated uh, chlorinated acid as foggers mm-hmm. and ozone in all of our heating and air conditioning units. You were a professional cleaner for I know something decades. about, <laughs> you know, and it didn't click to begin with. But once I started investigating, I thought, wait, these are things that I use. I know. And uh, so that's what we did. And, um, you know, we just had routine. And, you know, the state's throwing all their regulations at you, and they're changing them every other day. So you're, uh, I'm very fortunate. Uh, Lori Parker was my, is my director, and that's what she did. She, got, she was doing all the regs, and that's what she became. 
was, uh, you know, fine tuning all of our plans and, and watching and seeing what the state was mandating you to do and changing us and getting it through that. And as we were bumping along, trying to figure out, okay, we can do, you know, upgrade our system and, uh, make this work a little better. And we are now bringing them out for, uh, lunch and soon we'll be uh, doing breakfast. Okay. In c- communal instead of in their rooms. Right. But we're still six feet apart. And, um, you know, they, but they, you know, they at least get to see somebody. Yeah. You know, you get, you're in there in that room with your door shut. Man, that's, that's a tough place. That's the hardest part about this is watching the decline mm-hmm. right in front of your eyes. Just that lack of relationship. Yes. That- and movement. And we're, uh, you know, we're we're hollering at the state saying, "Look, what what else can we do? Let us give us some more freedom." And you know, that's when they started moving a little bit toward, um, uh, okay, you can bring them out, keep them six feet apart, no more than you know, ten in a in an area. And um, so that's helped helped a lot. But still, it is not the same place that it was before. You know, joy is very very hard to produce. Yeah. in that environment, and that's painful. And for staff, we all know it, you know, and it's even, it's, you're, you're, you're mandated to keep them isolated, keep them in their room. So they're coming out of their room. You're trying to get them back. It, it, it's a, it's not the same environment. It's just tough. And we, we talk about it regularly, you know, what else can we do? What else can we do? And we're doing, you know, we're doing uh, much more activities over the last you know, two months than we did before, just because you didn't have, you couldn't spend much time individually with them right. in their room. But you know. how how have the families handled those restrictions? I mean, obviously that's frustrating, but it's in place to protect their loved ones. So, like, how have they managed that, and and how have you dealt with that part of it? I I would say uh, that we're you know we're very fortunate that our families have uh, cooperated. Uh, as well as they have, you know, we, we, you see them outside from the window. That's the first thing that we were able to do is a, a closed window visit, and you know, they there a lot of them took advantage of that, uh, um, but they they understand, and most of them know that, you know, there was some some that discussed taking them home, and then by the time they get through discussing that and talking with us, they say, you know, they're safer there than they are anywhere else. Um, you know, you guys are doing a good job. Why risk their life out here in the in the world? Yeah. So it, it we're fortunate. So you, you're kind of hopefully getting toward the end um, of a crisis year, uh, especially in what you do. I, I know that um, you know residents like like yours are being prioritized for the vaccine. I know you know you mentioned to me that you've had the vaccine. I, what? What are you looking at in terms of the next few months? What kind of hope do you have going forward? The, the residents and staff got their, they'll get their second shot the 27th. Okay. I was on quarantine for exposure issues, and I didn't receive my vaccine until Monday two weeks ago. So a lot of our stuff that we do, and everything we do through this COVID-19 has been overseen and regulated by the state of Texas. And I would have to say they've done a pretty fair job. 
you know, one of the things that I told our direct or district people in, when this first started, they kept pushing us to, to do this COVID plan and pushing us to do the emergency plan. And I, you know, I told them, I said, look, this is going to look completely different in three months. Yeah. Give us a break. Let us get our feet under us. Get our our systems working like we need to, and and you know learn what we're doing, and then three months, four months from now, then let's plow into that. And I get, you know, I get it. We need to have that, but it was just coming on and on. And I think everybody's trying to protect their liability, and uh, in that process, the state, you know, doing the best they can, trying to give us guidance and rules and. We're doing the best we can to follow those and put them in place. Do you feel hopeful about the next few months? Not yet. Okay. Still waiting. Yeah. Uh, part of that is because they, they've given us no insight on what they're going to recommend mm-hmm. or allow uh, as far as after the vaccine. You know, they, they've, I think they've already said that three months is going to be the same, so... The, the next three months after vaccine, it's going to be the same. So yeah. don't don't get don't let your guard down. Don't do anything different. You know, make sure you're you're sticking with what you're supposed to be doing. It may change, but uh, right now they're saying no. But I I think uh, we have to have light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to get through this. Hopefully, you you, know? you felt you know ten years ago when you first ended up there and started putting out those fires that that you kind of. We're in the right place. Like, like you are uniquely equipped um, for the work that you are doing. Do you still feel that way now, having having gone through you know the valley and and maybe starting to come out on the other side? Do you still feel like all right? This is this is exactly where I was supposed to be the last year. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the Lord makes mistakes. He that's where He put me. Uh, that's that's what I'm supposed to do, and uh, I you know I've got no indication. Uh, that that's changed in any way. Um, and I think probably, you know, one of the other facilities down there went through a big outbreak and, you know, talked to that director over there and, you know, gave her instructions, gave her as much encouragement, took them supper, the facility supper, you know, just trying to get them through that. But they had three bottles of disinfectant. Man. For that 32-bed facility, three 16-ounce bottles. And I felt guilty that we had stock, not stockpiled, but we had, but uh, had inventory mm-hmm. of product. And I gave her, you know, I gave her as much information as I could on suppliers, and I think she did wind up, you know, getting connected with a supplier. But um, we were not in that position. So I think it is, a, you know, another set of tools on my part that, you know, kind of guided us through that. You know, you're just doing the best you can at that time. You, you, I'm not saying it was perfect or anything else. You're just doing the best you can on that. Hey, Amarillo is also sponsored this week by Shimon Dental Group. I've been going to Shimon for at least 25 years, and so have my kids. One of the things this practice specializes in is Invisalign, and it uses that system to improve patients' smiles and positioning, and those patients include my son, Owen, who has now completed his Invisalign treatment. His smile looks great. He had traditional metal brackets in the past, back in middle school, and Owen very much preferred the clear aligners of Invisalign. 
So it gets his hearty thumbs up. To learn more, visit shimandental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Okay, I'm back with Lonnie Shaw. Lonnie, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's, and I'm sure you know it, you, you may have cleaned it at one point, but it's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight interior murals depicting life on the high plains. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so uh, this is part of the show called Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job is to answer those, and it's a lot of the same questions I ask all of my guests. The very first one, what's one thing 2020 revealed to you about local people? Resilience. Okay. And creativity. You know, I think um, you look around how people are handling this, you know, some of the restaurant owners that go beyond recreated their self. Goodness, that's big stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're doing just like everybody else, trying to hang on to their business and good for them. Yeah, from restaurants to assisted living facilities. I mean, everybody's having to like innovate, yeah. adapt, how, switch how up everything. This? Yeah. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Wind and dust. Yeah. We could do with a little less wind and dust. I can imagine uh, since you lived, you know, a little bit more out in the country, it's probably worse out there than even it is in town. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, a five mile an hour wind in the country is creating a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? Uh, the flip side of that, rain, mm -hmm. moisture, water. Uh, that's, man, you know, you, you watch this country. Uh, we get uh, a good year and get maybe 20 inches of rain. Yeah. And uh, stuff just grows like crazy. You know, if we got 25, 26 inches of rain a year, I think we might be a jungle. Yeah. The way things be a grow. rainforest. Yeah. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Wide open friendly, and the most spectacular sunsets and sunrises ever. Out in the country, you, you get to appreciate that, too. Yeah, that, that's very true. I, I wonder if you ever thought about leaving here. I mean, you grew up here, you know, started your businesses here, worked at WTU. Do you ever think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my way outside of Amarillo? You know, not so much. Uh, Trish and I, have, my wife, uh, talk about it occasionally, and, um, but, you know, it's just a significant tie here. Mm -hmm. So, well, you're pretty planted here now as as a business owner. It's it's hard and to leave those grandkids yeah. and uh, kids. So it's they all hold you in place. What's your favorite local restaurant? Pre-pandemic, Tacos Garcia. Okay, we're every Friday night date at Tacos Garcia. Big one on Ross. Yeah. Okay, and uh, they got the best margaritas in case anybody's wondering. And uh, yeah, it was it just we did that we like that atmosphere. The food's good. George and Missy did a great job for years and years and years. How so, about post-pandemic? Have, have you been able to visit a restaurant? Or are you it, being too... And we went back there on the patio. Okay. Uh, it's a little tough to do the patio right now, but uh, but yeah, we did the patio occasionally. We did it like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Pretty slow, but we still love their food. And I can imagine, you know, everybody has their own... is having to make their own decisions about risk and, you know, what kind of caution and am I going to apply to my life? But I, I imagine yours is pretty high. I mean, you are not just taking care of yourself, but you're taking care of your residents, your employees. It's And, and it's funny you say that because that's the reason, the biggest reason why I took the uh, vaccine mm -hmm. is I, I am tired of being afraid that I'm going to be the one bringing it in. Yeah. But we talked to our girls, um, 
over and over again about, you know, low risk, mm-hmm. lower the risk, you know, don't do anything outside the box. So I have to do the same thing. House Divided was an, another place we could get out on the patio. But um, other than that, we really haven't been inside a restaurant. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I, I don't participate in the coffee shop okay. scene. I really don't. I love coffee, but um, I don't know. It's just not. Yeah, coffee at home is, is your preference. Yeah, that's, the, that's just as well do that. That's, that's legit. Um, when was the last time you visited Paladura Canyon? May of 2019. Did, okay. a, did a wedding there. Of my uh, executive assistant, her daughter, okay, got married, so we were out there, like out on the rim or down on the floor. Yeah, at the uh, event center. All right, the, down in there, the pavilion down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. What was that like? I've never been to a wedding. It was in the really. That's it, a pretty sharp background, now. Let me tell you, uh, and it was really simple. But it, 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 I thought it went well. The wind wasn't blowing too yeah. bad. Uh, but uh, it, we're great fans of the outdoor musical drama Texas. Mm-hmm. Bryson, my youngest, he um, he was a child actor. Okay, for multiple years out there, and we made great friends. Uh, that's where we figured out the boy could sing. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we we love the. Well, I should talk to him because that that would be a, a fun thing to hear about yeah. being a kid and and doing that. You know, oh, it every was night a, during the summer. Yeah, it, it, and it was work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, go out there every night. So. All right. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? Uh, this may sound cliche, but um, our sense of community. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one example, okay? Uh, Trish uh, was at the post office uh, over the last few days, and she needed uh, some change, and uh, she couldn't get it out quite fast enough. The lady behind her, before she could get her money out, reached in and got her money and tried to pay for it. Hmm. Um, that don't happen everywhere. Yeah. And I think that gives you a, a significant sense of who we are. Like, that's not a story that's surprising to me. I'm yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I, I, I've done that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's big. And I think that's why people stay when they come. You know, they move here and they think, oh, this is a shortstop. But, you know, you get to know us, most of us, and you like it. We are, we're friendly. We're kind on the most part. And um, there you go. Okay, Lonnie, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, you said one thing. I'm going to give you two. I'll take two. Hospitality. Okay. Uh, I would encourage people. It's been extremely difficult to, you know, to share and do hospitality. That's what our building is. Somebody comes in, I'm trying to get them to sit down and eat with us. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get them to drink a cup of coffee with us. You know, and that's how, that's how we, you know, we do our business. My mom and dad had people in their house all the time. The girls living with them, through crisis, different things. And, you know, I think that's we should all try to do. And that's something that is very natural here. Like, people are, to me, that, that feels like part of, of living in this community. And, like, that's the thing that a lot of us miss, just yeah. people coming over to the house or... Yeah. Being able to spend time in conversation with somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and some people have that talent, and some people don't. But uh, I think we all ought to push on that. And, okay. And try to do that. What's the second thing? The next thing is uh, I would encourage people to visit our elderly population. You know, uh, they are a treasure chest of stories and uh, memories that needs to be opened. Uh, I had a, we had a resident in our facility that was uh, a helmsman on a landing craft on D Day. Hmm. made over 20 
trips back and forth. Wow. Unheard of. And he made it. Uh, if you ever look at those, he's sitting right out there in, you know, in plain sight. And he comes back and he's a cowboy on the four sixes for wow. years and years and years. Has his own little place, but uh, still cowboyed on the, you know, on the four sixes. Talked to a lady about uh, the Dust Bowl and her experiences through the Dust Bowl. And um, they can make it alive for you. We have a lot of history here, and a lot of these people have lived it. So I would encourage people, ask those questions, uh, get to know those stories. I completely concur with that. Absolutely. Lonnie Shaw, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Lonnie for the interview and to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. Terra Accounting and Consulting, and Shimon Dental for sponsoring the show. You can find out more about SkyWest Assisted Living at skywestliving.com. And of course, this podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash hamrello. Hamrello's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Elda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, and Ryan Pennington. Of course, I forgot to say this earlier, this episode was edited by the talented Angelina Marie. This has been episode 186. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.